All right, poor Charlie Brown. Poor Charlie Brown. Man, that's pitiful. All these unsuspecting hits coming out of nowhere. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The message is called warning signs, that there's something coming and we need to be ready and prepared for that coming. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13 and uh, we're going to read and then I'll talk a little bit. So we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and we've been really encapsulating three years of Jesus's life and ministry. Now we're slowing it down. These next four messages are the last week of his life, the Passion Week leading up to this death, burial, and resurrection. And so he's in Jerusalem, and he's teaching at the temple. And it says this, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent Buildings and they're marveling at the architecture of Jerusalem and and even the ruins that that are there today are unbelievable. Just the foundation of the Temple Mount itself is awe inspiring, and they're going, "Man, Jesus, isn't this amazing? Look at all that we have here. Let's marvel at it." Jesus says, "This. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here." will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now he's referring to the Maccabean revolt that happens about 70 AD. Uh, in the lifetime of some of these disciples, the Jewish people were going to revolt against the Roman empire and try to take back their country. And it ended really badly for them. And the Romans came in and just demolished the people and more uh, significant to hear, demolished that city, ripped these beautiful buildings to the ground. And so Jesus is saying, look, you're going to see these get torn down. And then they leave Jerusalem. They go up through the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, it's a beautiful, you can look down on the temple mount and see this beautiful temple. And he says to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and they ask him privately, they say, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now, they didn't know, but they're actually asking two separate questions. But they really, they wanted to know what was going to happen. They wanted to know what's going to come. What does the future hold? When is this going to happen? What are the signs that it's going to happen? We want to be in the know about this. Can, now, can you blame the disciples for wanting to know what the future holds? Do you ever wonder about that? Are you curious about the end of all things and how this world ends and what eternity is going to look like and how God's going to take what's here now and make it something completely new? Are you curious about that? I know that you are because the most often requested message I get is, hey, preacher man, talk to us about the end times. Hey, preacher man, teach us through revelation. Hey, 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 preacher boy, would you talk about when the things end and the coming of Christ and all things reach their fulfillment? Preach on that. So today we get it. Today is that message. All right. Can I tell you as a young believer, as a new believer, I was curious. I was fascinated by this. I wanted to know how it was all going to end. Because you know what it made me think? It strengthened my faith that God knows how, not how today's going to go. He knows how all days are going to go. He has all of eternity mapped out and in your life and in this entire planet. He truly has it under control. And because he's so kind and gracious, he's clued us in on some of the things that are to come. 
And we're going to look at that today. You know, this, this year has been pretty remarkable. The eclipse got everybody talking. Man, what's that mean? Some people predicted that that was going to be the end. I didn't think that for a second, but some people thought that, okay? And then we've had uh, Harvey and Irma, these horrific hurricanes happening and the devastation that we see. And we wonder, man, is that part of the signs? Is that part of God getting us ready and warning us that the end is to come? We see uh, devastation and violence, man to man, violence, uh, warfare, and and all kinds of things. And, And it just makes you wonder, man, are we near are we coming close? Is Jesus coming back? Is, the, is everything going to be flipped on its ear in just a moment? We're going to try to answer some of those questions today. So, um, so buckle up. Here we go. A lot of verses for you. So they wanted to know several things. They wanted to know when this was going to happen. And so Jesus said to them this, starting in verse 5. He says, that, uh, watch out that no one deceives you. It's going to be easy to be deceived about this. Many will come in my name declaring or claiming I am he and will deceive many. Keep going. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Wow, Jesus said a mouthful there. And he said, listen, the analogy I want to give you is that what is going to happen is going to look a lot like birth pains. It's going to look a lot like contractions. About half the crowd might know what that is like, okay? (laughs) I don't. I was only a bystander. I was a spectator on all that. But I can tell you from my seat, that means a lot, even from my seat, because the first couple contractions are cute. Am I right? It's like, (laughs) it didn't look that bad. I mean, I don't know. It was like, oh, I think I'm having a contraction, should we go to the hospital? And you call mom and dad and you call your friends. I'm thinking I'm having a contraction. Maybe we should go to the hospital. And they're like 12 minutes apart and it's no big deal. <laughs> Half of y'all are looking right through me. It's awesome. But then they get increasingly more violent, increasingly closer together. Somebody give me an amen there. (laughs) And it becomes obvious and clear that it's leading up to something and you need to get to the hospital immediately. Well, Jesus said that is how the end is going to happen. You're going to see these warning signs and they're going to increase in intensity and they're going to increase in frequency. It is going to become painfully obvious that the end is approaching and that's what we need to look at today. Look, what are those warning signs Jesus talks about? He says there's six ways to recognize that Jesus is coming soon and that the end is near. The first one, we're just going to take it right from the passage we read. The first one is that there are going to be false teachers There's going to be people that are leading people astray, that their theology and that their teaching and their philosophy is going to be counter to what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and they're going to be leading people astray. Later in the passage, in verse 22, Jesus said, For there will be false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders 
to deceive. False teachings, false prophets, false messiahs. False messiahs are people that are claiming to have the truth about God and saying, if you'll follow me in my teaching, then I can show you the way to God. Guys, there's false religion in the world today. There's cults that would try to lead people astray. There's people that are claiming to be speaking in the name of God, but they're actually leading people not to God, but away from him. Jesus said those people were going to come. And I want to say those people that will even use the name of Christ that are false prophets as well. Not everyone that says the name of Jesus is actually leading you to him. Can I get an amen there? There's people that are teaching, that are teaching a false gospel, okay? We've got to be very careful. Just because someone is popular doesn't mean they're teaching the truth. Jesus said, be very careful who you're learning from and the teachers that you have because there are false teachers that will come and they will deceive many. Also notice with me, he said that some of these people will perform signs and wonders. There'll be supernatural power that they use to deceive us, to deceive people. And he says, so just because something is supernatural, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily of God. We've got to be very careful and very discerning because Satan loves to deceive us. Second sign, he said there will be wars. There'll be rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Man, we have seen it in this last century. We have seen a gluttony of wars, haven't we? Some worldwide wars. But you know what? I looked it up. Uh, website was Global Conflict Tracker. And you look at the map of the world, and there are literally dozens of armed conflicts happening throughout the world right now. Dozens and every single continent on this planet has an armed conflict, and there's a concentration of them in the Middle East. Man, men are rising up against each other and killing each other. Blood is being shed every single day on this planet. Jesus said, That's a sign of my coming. Number three, he said, there'll be natural disasters. There'll be natural disasters. Now he specifically said earthquakes in this passage. If you look at any chart, most charts start in 1935. I'm not sure why. Maybe that's when they started tracking earthquakes, but every chart you look at over those last 80 ish years, the chart goes like this. It doesn't matter what intensity of of earthquake you're looking at. The chart is on the rise, and there's some spikes near us that there is an increased number and frequency of earthquakes happening on the planet. Those birth pains are happening more frequently. Jesus said that's a sign that the end is soon to come. Number four, he said there'll be famines. There will be famines in the land. You know what? We don't lack food on the planet. There is no shortage of food for every person, six plus billion people on the planet. We have enough food on the planet for everyone to eat and not be hungry. But people die every single day of starvation. Every single day, there's people dying all over this planet because they don't have enough food to eat. And I know that breaks the heart of God, and here's why. It is the evil intent of man. There is evil in our heart that prevents people from eating 
what we already have and can give them to eat. There are evil dictatorships like North Korea that will starve people to death. They have enough resources, but they'll starve their people in order to subdue them and control them. There are places on this planet where the the elite and the upper class hoard the food and they let the masses starve. You don't have to look any farther than Venezuela. And people, the socialist thing is crashing. Communism was the same way. And the haves had and the haves not didn't. And people starve and die because of the evil systems and evil wickedness in the hearts of men. There's war zones in Africa. There's war zones in the Middle East. There's war zones all over this planet where because there's war, there's people caught in the middle, innocent civilians that war breaks out and they can't get food. Their livelihood is gone and their farms are burned and they have no way to provide for themselves and they starve. And this broke my heart. 36 million people will die this year of starvation on our planet. That's more than one a second. People dropping because they don't have enough to eat. And Jesus said, this is a sign that I'm coming. This is a sign that I need to come intervene because the wickedness of men is so great that people are dying of hunger and I've got to step in and intervene lest you all kill each other. There'll be famines. Number five, he said there'll be persecution. There'll be persecution. Persecution means there'll be physically, bodily harm done to you because you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Persecution means that you'll be thrown into prison and on trial for your faith because you choose to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said that persecution will come. Verses 9 through 13, we won't read them all, but there's a description there that children will betray parents and parents' children because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You say, man, that sounds so far-fetched. That sounds like a movie. That's not going to happen. Can I tell you something? It is happening right now all over this planet. It's It's just not happening here yet. Yet. He said, persecution. There are countries, there's a plenty of countries. If you speak the name of Jesus, you can expect bodily harm and imprisonment and possibly death. The, fifth, the sixth sign, all those are bad. There's a good one. The sixth sign that Jesus is coming soon, that the spread of the gospel will happen. Did you read what he said? This is so awesome. He says, um, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. All nations will hear the good news that despite the wickedness in this world and the evil that we see, that God's saving grace through Jesus Christ is made available to all nations. Man, that's such good news that God's going to make a way for people to hear what the one thing they desperately need to know, that God loves them, is willing to forgive them. And you think about that. That is despite the persecution. Let me say it a better way. It's quite possibly because of the persecution. Think about this. Everywhere, I don't care, in the Bible and biblically and historically through history, everywhere Christians are persecuted for their faith, the gospel spreads like wildfire. 
I, I can't explain it other than to say there's a purifying effect and Christians get serious about their faith when it's really, it might be my life on the line. I'm going to boldly stand for Jesus and proclaim him to people all around me. And the gospel spreads like wildfire in the face of persecution. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my kids. I know some Christians, some pastors that pray that God would bring persecution to this country, that the gospel might spread like wildfire. I pray. I pray it doesn't come to that. And he says it's going to spread to all nations. The word there is really cool. Uh, It's ethnos. Like ethnic group, ethnicity, it says the gospel is going to spread to every ethnos, every people group. It could be every nation as a political thing. It could be every uh, race of people. It could be every language. It may even be every single dialect. And scholars are divided. We're not sure what Jesus meant exactly. It could be if some of those are already fulfilled today, that the gospel is in every nation in some form or fashion. But there's plenty of dialects. They've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. So I'm not sure if that's fulfilled already or if that day's coming. But it's a sign that Jesus is on the way. Now, we've been asking when. These are all warning signs. These are all, these are all things that get us anticipating his coming. And then he just says very plainly later in the passage, verse 32, he says, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not the angels, nor the son, but only the father. He says, listen, anybody that says, I know when this is happening, I know when Jesus is coming back, I know when the end of the world is, they are full of baloney. Was that clear enough? You can stop listening. If you listen to someone teaching that they know when they are wrong. If Jesus didn't know, why do they think they know? How arrogant is that to think that they know what Jesus didn't know? I believe Jesus knows now. And he's just waiting for the father to say, go get my children. Go get my church. Go get my people. Go get the ones that have been covered by my blood and bring them back to me. And Jesus is just waiting for the father to say, go get them. The rest of us don't know. Time, but I do know this, and I really believe time is running short. I can tell you, as a new believer, I became to faith in Christ in 1989, and I thought 2000. I thought the year, anybody else? I thought the year 2000 was when Jesus was coming back. And I was convinced of that. I didn't go around, you know, saying that. But I thought, man, it makes sense. And I added up the numbers, and there's a Sabbath, and blah, 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 and a millennial kingdom, and I had it all figured out. And I was completely wrong. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing it did. It put a fire in my belly to tell people the day is coming and they need to be ready because when it happens, there's not going to be a second chance and we need to live with the same anticipation because time is running short. Can I simply ask you this morning, are you ready for Jesus's return? You, each one of us, we can't answer for our neighbor. We can't answer for our kids. It doesn't matter your background. The question on the table for you is, are you ready for Jesus's return? When that happens, I'm not sure, but I believe it's soon. Secondly, they wanted to know 
what happens at the end. They wanted to know, what is it going to look like? How is this all going to happen? And Jesus gives a beautiful summary statement here in verse 19. He says this. He says, because those days, those terrible days of, that we'll get into here, those days will be days of distress. Listen to this. Unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. No matter how bad this world has ever been or will be, nothing will come close to how bad it's going to be. When the end comes, it's going to get ugly fast. More hardship than we've ever seen. More evil than we've ever seen. More trial and tribulation than we've ever seen. Distress, and that word distress is translated affliction or in some translations, tribulations. That's called the great tribulation. What Jesus is describing is a seven-year window when he comes back and then there's going to be seven years of hell on earth that is going to be unlike anything you can imagine, worse than any horror show you've ever seen. Jesus is saying it's awful. It's horrible. And the people, listen to this. This is from Revelation 6. You want to know how bad it is? The scriptures describe how horrible it is The people in this time, they say this. They say, call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? They said, I wish a mountain slide, I wish a rock slide would cover us up so we could escape the wrath. That would be better than what we're enduring now. You got most of a Bible, a book in your Bible, Revelations chapter 5 through chapter 19. Lay out in excruciating detail, although it be a bit uh, uh, symbolic and uh, cryptic is the word I'm looking for. There's all those chapters that lay out what's going to happen. And it's one horrible thing after the next. Uh, It's also called the 70th week of Daniel. I don't have time to talk about that, but if you want to write down Daniel chapter 9, it describes in more detail what happens in that time frame. We're going to look at one verse from there. But there's lots of interpretations in those chapters of Revelation and Daniel of what's going to go down. None of it's good. And we can argue, and it's fun to speculate, and what's that going to look like? And is that a helicopter? Is that a locust? Or is that a flying machine? Or is that a drone? I mean, nobody knows. John's trying to describe things that he can't describe. He's got first century technology trying to describe 21st century or beyond technology. And he's blown away by all that's going to happen. And so it's fun to speculate, but it's it's stupid to argue about how it's going to happen. Lots of symbolism in there, but it's all bad. Well, I think it's more important. is not what exactly happens, but why it happens. You ever asked yourself that? Why? God, why is there going to be seven years of hell on earth? God, what is your purpose in that? Why would you do that? Are you mad at us? God, why are you bringing such pain to this planet, why would you do such a thing? i give you two answers. There's two reasons why God is bringing his wrath to this planet. And the number one, and they're so kind, he's so that Israel will turn to Jesus. Israel, the Jews, the nation of Israel, God still has a heart for them. Listen to this. This is from Romans. He says, I do not want you to become ignorant of the mystery, of this mystery, brothers and sisters, 
so that you may not be, be conceited. <clears throat> Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. What he's saying is, listen, the Jews have got their hearts hardened. Only part of them are going to be able to come in until all the Gentiles, that's probably mostly us, that the people that are not Jews, there's going to be a time for the Gentiles to come into my kingdom. And what we thought was just for the Jews is actually for all nations. And God opened the door and said, all of you come in. I don't care what your ethnicity is. You come to me, you find me, you know Christ and have a place in my kingdom. And when those days come to an end, then, then God's going to do something special and unique for the people of Israel. He still has a heart for them. He still has a plan for Israel. In the last days, it says they're going to embrace Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. Listen, they didn't see him that way when he came the first time. By and large, the Jewish nation rejected him as their leader. But when he comes back the second time, he's going to find right after that a whole host of Jews who will follow him as Messiah. It's described in Revelation chapter 7. If you want to jot that down, we don't have the time to read it. But that's where the 144,000, just curious, how many of you have heard of the 144,000 Jews in Revelation? Okay, it's a fair number. So there's this deal here where it says 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe. They will turn to God. They'll turn to God. 12,000 from each tribe will be sealed to God. And it's symbolic. Most biblical scholars agree with this, that the number 12 and most of the numbers in Revelation are not actual numbers, okay? You can debate me if you want later. But it's symbolic, I believe, of the completion. Most biblical scholars say 12 is the number of completion. And what it's saying here is simply this. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah means as a tribe, as a people, as, an, as a tribe of people, they're going to come to faith in Christ. The tribe of, of Asher, the tribe of Reuben, they're going to put their faith in Christ. As a nation, all 12 tribes, the complete Jewish nation will turn to God. The living God will be their God through Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? Think about that for a second. Think about, God could have thrown them to the wayside. They failed him. Read your Old Testament. Time and time again, they failed God. And yet he had made promises to Abraham. And he says, I'm not going to forget my promises to you. And he said a promise to David that I'm not going to fail to have one of your descendants sit on my throne. And so he fulfills his promise to David. Time and time again, he would say to Israel, if you follow me and worship me, I'll be your God. But even if you don't, I'm still going to be your God. My faithfulness trumps your unfaithfulness and I'm going to fulfill my promises for you. Man, that gives me great hope that there's nobody here forgotten by God. There's never a time in my life or your life where he's thrown us by the wayside. We're never too far gone that we can't be rescued. We're never so far gone that God has given up on us. God is a forgiving God. And if he can forgive the Jews for literally thousands of years of forsaking him, he can forgive you and me today. He's a good God. They're going to turn back to the living God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus even tells us how. This is, this is fascinating to me. He tells us how it's going to happen. You say, how in the world? I don't know if you've ever had a spiritual conversation with a Jewish person, but they are pretty stubborn people. That was a joke. 
but they are. <laughs> and I've talked till I'm blue in the face, and I think, man, how, how do you get through to them? Man, this is so cool how God does this. Check this out. And this is Mark 13, 14. So Jesus says it right here. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, that's in quotes. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, what's this abomination? It's from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And Daniel the prophet prophesies that this, this abomination is going to happen. And it's going to be a trigger. It's going to be a triggering point for the nation of Israel. That when they see this thing happen, they're going to realize something. And let me read the passage before I get too ahead of myself. In, in Daniel 9, 27, it says, he, he's, he's the Antichrist. By context, we know it's the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Seven means seven-year period. He will confirm a covenant with many for seven, one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. That means the Jewish temple will be rebuilt on the temple mount. I don't know what happens to the dome and the rock, but it's gone and the Jewish people build their temple back and they have plans to do it today if they're only waiting for the Muslims to be pushed off that temple. The temple will be rebuilt and the Jewish people will go back to the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings that they did for hundreds of years. And then it says, and in the temple, he, Antichrist, will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. He's going to take something unholy, unclean, and offer it as a wicked sacrifice, not to God, but really to himself and to Satan. And it's going to disturb the Jews. It's going to shock them. And they're going to realize something. They're going to realize that's the Antichrist, and we missed and rejected the Savior. And it's going to open their eyes to the truth. And as a nation, they're going to turn back to God. Man. God's good, isn't he? He still loves Israel. He still fulfills his promise to Abraham. One more reason for the tribulation. This, 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 this time period of heartache. It's not only so Israel will turn to Jesus, it is so all will have a chance to turn to Jesus. That every single person on the planet would have a chance. Listen to this. Jesus said it in our chapter here. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and authority, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. That means from the ends of the earth to the ends of heavens. That means that all over the planet, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be believers found, not just Jews, but Gentiles who were left. There'll be believers all over the planet when he returns. You know how that happens? Those Jews, those 144,000, the whole nation of Israel that turns to the living God, they become, and, that, and Revelation says this in chapter 7, that they become the world's greatest evangelists. Can you imagine the nation of Israel on fire for Jesus and telling people about it everywhere they went? You guys know Eddie Cook and Story Tate in our church? Anybody? 
okay? And you know how it fired up for Jesus they are and how much they love telling other people, hey man, have you heard the good news? Hey, do you know what means so much to me? There's a God who loves you and is willing to forgive you. And everywhere they go, they tell people about how awesome God is and they ask people to receive Jesus. And they're the greatest evangelists I've personally known in my life. And there's gonna be a whole nation of stories and eddies running around. And everybody else doesn't stand a chance. And they get the message of Jesus to the far corners of the earth. Listen to this. First, Second Peter 3. It says, the Lord is patient with you. Let me skip down. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let me ask you, how many people does God want to experience his forgiveness? Everyone. How many people does he want to repent and trust Christ? Every single person, he wants that for them. He wants them to know him and know his love and know his forgiveness and know his life. He wants that so bad. He's willing to put the whole planet through hardship. He wants to be a reality in your life and in my life so bad. He's willing to put us through hardship, isn't he? He's willing to put us through hardship, isn't he? He's willing us to put us through hardship because he knows what you and I instinctively know. When times are good and our bellies are full and we got extra money and everything's fine and everybody's good, we tend to forget God and go about our lives and we don't need him. But when the chips are down and things are bleak and we turn to the living God, and so he brings a season of hardship to the planet. He'll bring a season of hardship to your life. And he'll do that to refine you and to turn your heart more fully to him. Because he loves you. Isn't that, isn't that good? Because knowing God and experiencing him in your life is the best thing you and I could ever have. And if we're settling for a cheap substitute, isn't it kind of him to bring hardship into our lives, to draw us away from those idols and away from those things and back to the true source of all contentness, and that's the living God. Man, he's good for that. So he's, he's delaying his return. He's delaying his return so that as many people as possible will turn to him. So as many people as possible will tra- trust him and they'll escape the coming wrath and they'll experience his forgiveness. Two passages from 1 Thessalonians. And it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who, what's the word? rescues us from the coming wrath. That's what he wants to do for you and do for me. He's going to rescue all that believe in him, all that have put their trust in Christ. He's going to rescue. He promises he'll rescue us from the coming wrath. One more verse. And for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great promise. If you know Christ and have experienced his saving power, that you will not suffer his wrath because you've received his salvation. See, the choice is really clear. You either choose Jesus as your leader and your forgiver, or you're choosing to endure God's wrath. And you and I don't have to do that. Jesus endured his wrath on a cross. Jesus endured the wrath, the hatred that a holy God would have towards sin when men harm each other and we do despicable things. All that was put on Christ. And God 
turned his back on his son and poured out his anger of your sin and my sin on Jesus so that we don't have to suffer his wrath ever again, ever again. Can I plead with you today? If you've never said yes to a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, turn from your sin today and trust Jesus. Turn to his forgiveness. He's willing. That's my last question is how do we prepare for the end? How do you and I prepare? Listen to those last verses of the chapter. He says, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Let me read that again. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And when he says if, it's really the word means since. Since he's coming back in a moment. Since Jesus is coming back when we least expect it. When he's come, since he's coming back suddenly, you need to be ready with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Listen very closely. You won't have a split second. You won't, have a, you won't have a split second to choose him when this moment comes. It'll be the die will be cast and your eternity would be sealed forever. You won't have that moment. The moment is now to say yes to Jesus Christ if you've never said yes to him before. My other question, believers, followers of Christ, will he find you sleeping Or will we be watchful? He says it four times in this chapter, watch. And it's a special word. He didn't just mean observe. He didn't mean just stay awake. He said, be alert. Watch as a spectator. Watch, it means be a participant. It's a present active imperative verb. All it means to say is it is a thing you and I choose to do over and over and over again every single day until he comes back. And we always are standing order. It's an order. Our standing order is to always be prepared for his return. That you and I would live today and tomorrow and the next day like Jesus is coming back at the end of the day. And if you and I live those, our days like those, like it's the last day, we'll live it for Christ, won't we? Horrible tragedy in our community. Young man, Austin Crumley, lost his life in a car accident. It's a student at Jackson County High School. And he was just driving home. It was just another day. And it was over. Jesus says, be ready and be watchful. I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And in this moment, be respectful of others. God wants to do something in some people's lives here this morning. And the most important question you could ever answer is, am I ready for Jesus' return? Don't let me ask that of you. God is asking that of you. And if you know this morning that you need to enter a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin and turn from his wrath and turn to his love and turn to his forgiveness, raise your hand. I want to pray with you after your hand's raised. Oh, I praise you, God. Who else? Turn to Christ today. Simply say, God, I need your forgiveness. I have messed up. But I thank you you're willing to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And you paid for all of my sins. 
And so I'm asking you, Jesus, to lead me and to forgive me. And I thank you now that I'm yours, that my past is gone, (laughs) and forgiveness is mine, that I have a heavenly Father who loves me, and now he'll never leave me. In Jesus' name, amen. I would keep praying for all of us now. God, make us people watching, not sleeping. We can't go to sleep on what's happening. There's a whole world that needs you. God, if we're sleeping, who's going to tell them of the good news that needs to get to all nations? It needs to get to Jefferson, Georgia. Jackson County needs to be changed. They need us to tell them. They need us to show them. We can't be sleeping. If God's speaking to you that you're sleeping and you need to wake up, then you make this stage your altar and you come and say, God, today I'm watchful. In Jesus' name, amen.